Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and how thankful we are for the Holy Spirit that dwells within our heart, the Holy Spirit that gives us the assurance of eternal life. You talk about having the very best inoculation. We have an inoculation against death and against hell, and that's the Holy Spirit that is within our hearts that gives us that assurance that when we stand before the Lord in that day, our name will be found written in the book of life. And Father, we pray that you would give us not only this hope as a security in our own heart for our walk with you, but also as a motivation to share our faith with those that do not have that hope. I pray, Lord, that we would become more evangelistic in our daily lives, that every breath we breathe would be in praise and honor of you. So now come, Lord, and use me to minister to these, your people, that they might be encouraged in all your ways. And I give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want to share something with you guys. And um, I know oftentimes when I share these kinds of topics, I get a lot of negative feedback. But here's the reality. I don't care. Because the thing is, it, it deals a lot with what we're going to be looking at in our portion this morning. But uh, this is a, as you can see, it's a New York Times article, okay? New York Times. It's not a Frank Thomas. It's not a back page, you know, Joe Schmo, you know, some kind of conspiracy thing. This is New York Times. Apparently, 90% of the COVID tests are false, na are false positives, 90%. Because I don't know, I don't, haven't read the whole article in detail, but apparently they take the RNA and they're supposed to dilute it down so many times, but not below 30. They constantly go below that. And so they're saying that probably 90% in New York State of the positive COVID tests are false, that they're really negative. The safest place in the world right now to live is Sweden. They have the lowest incidence of COVID, the lowest death rate, in fact, it's just about non-existence in our country now. And they didn't do a thing. They never even shut down. And uh, to me, you know, I, I think we always have to play. It's always good to play on the side of caution when something first comes out and comes down. You have to look at it closely. It's like anything. You've got to look at it closely and, and see what's going on and to weigh and, and you know, the facts. But I think when the facts start going that it's more of a political issue than it is a, a, a uh, literal issue, it's something to be concerned about. Because I think all of us realize how the politics of our nation is going is not in a positive way. Someone was sharing with me during prayer time, I don't know exactly where it was, but there are two young police officers in their 20s sitting in their patrol car, a young man, a young woman, and someone came up and shot and killed them both. I mean, that's pretty awful, and I think it's because of the attitude, the wrong attitude, that this nation is being pushed into having towards police. Police officers, for the most part, for 99.9% .9 of the most part, are good people, and they're there to protect us. You know, if I have a problem, I don't want to get on the phone and call a social worker. You know... I, I'm afraid, and someone's trying to break into my house. Could you help me with my fear? No, no, I want to call a police officer and say, someone's breaking into my house. Come on over and bring your gun, <laughs> you know? And um, 
so it's just a point I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make because it's one thing when the world is using politics to try to move it in the direction they want it to go, but it's another thing when it affects us as believers. You and I have to stand on the word of God and be commissioned and committed to do the work God has called us to. And um, as we're going to see in this portion, when we start having fears, it completely holds us back from doing the work of the ministry. Jesus Christ is coming back for his church soon. I mean, I shared some of the, of the things last week that have never happened in history before and that had to happen before the Lord returned for his church, and they are happening. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, literally, I believe that before our service ends today, we could all be raptured. Maybe not. I mean, I, I'm not a prophet. I don't know exactly the day, but the Bible commands me to be aware of the season, to be aware of the times in which the Lord's coming back. And I know we're there. And um, so anyway, I just wanted to share that. Someone shared it with me, and the first thing I did is I looked it up because I didn't want to just share something that was hearsay. And there it is, New York Times, you know. So if you would open your Bibles along with me, we are in Deuteronomy chapter 1, and we're picking up in verse 19. You know, it's interesting, someone um, had a, a posting on, on Facebook, and it showed a grocery store packed with people. They all had their masks on, packed with people. And then it showed an airplane, and every seat was taken, you know, sitting side by side with their masks on, and the stewardesses with their masks on. Then it showed a picture of, the ch of a church, pews empty. There's a problem there. There's a serious, serious problem there when you see that kind of thing. It's absolutely amazing. Okay. In this particular portion, the Lord is reminding them of the promise that he made to these people. Remember, Deuteronomy is taken from the Hebrew, which means the second law, or it means to repeat the law. So Moses is going back. He's, he's ready to die, and they're getting ready to cross over into the promised land. So Moses is going back, and he's repeating and reminding them of some of the things that they experienced that we looked at in the book of, uh, of Exodus and, and Leviticus and Numbers. And so he's reminding them, and he is telling them that he has plans for them to enter in and to possess this land. And their unwillingness to enter in was actually unbelief. He gave them promises, and if we don't believe the promises of God, it's called unbelief. There's no pretty way, well, I think, you know, it's unbelief. And um, just like in our world, there are many things taking place in our world, but you and I as believers, we have promises. And I'm going to read a little... Uh, combination of scriptures. I haven't written the verses down. You guys can look it up, give you a little exercise. But these are all verses of scripture. He will never leave or forsake us. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. You know, for, to be with Christ is gain, Paul said. It's, it's for your purposes that I'm here, but he said, I'd rather be with the Lord. And that he has not appointed us to wrath, you and I, 
But unto salvation. We're going to be taken out before wrath is poured out on this world. Therefore, we must pray that we would be counted worthy to escape all that is shortly coming upon this world and to stand before the Son of God. Those are the promises that we have. Those are the promises we stand on. You know, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any difference what happens here. It's what's going to happen after this life ends and we stand before the Son of God. Because here, I have news for you, okay? This might be a surprise. But barring the rapture, every single one of us is going to die. Every one of us. Maybe now, maybe later. You know, we, we, we read and we have on our prayer chain tragic uh, accounts of young people that are dying early because of illness and disease and so forth. But the bottom line in every situation is where are they with the Lord? I believe with all my heart that the Bible teaches that children below the age of accountability automatically go to Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us he carries the lambs, the babies in his arms. And so no one will ever make me believe otherwise. If there's a child below the age of accountability and they die there with Jesus Christ, made whole and complete, what a promise that is, isn't it? But it's the same for you and I. You know what I mean? It'd be like a baby saying, I don't want to come out of the womb. I want to stay in here the rest of my life. Oh, the poor mother. But the point is, when the baby's born, that's when his life really begins. And when you and I are born again, that's when our life really begins. And that's not the best part. One day, we're going to have glorified bodies. Read 1 Corinthians 15. This mortal is going to put on immortality. This corruptible is going to put on incorruptible. You know, the last enemy to be conquered is death. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God through Christ Jesus who gives us the victory. It's awesome. You know, we, especially those of us getting older, we're getting to that age, and we know we could kick off any time. You know what I mean? Really, we could. I mean, I had a little bit of surgery, not trying to make mention of it, but I am right now anyway. Uh, but I had a little cancer surgery here, and, uh, and here, and here, and here, and here. And these are minor. This was a little bit more serious one. And th this one had metastasized. So I didn't know what it was going to be. And sure, you're nervous. You know, you have family, grandchildren, you like being with them, and this and that. But really, the bottom line is, if it had gone further than it's supposed to have gone and I died, I'd be with Jesus. Do you understand? We have a promise that no one else in this world has. When we leave this body, we're going to be with Jesus. It's real. This body is temporary. You know that, in fact, in, fact, in a marriage seminar yesterday, Pastor Frank Jr. got into that. We're body, soul, and spirit. And by the way, those of you who uh, weren't here for the marriage uh, ceremony, it was awesome. And I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. I'm saying that because we recorded the first two sessions. And so if you weren't here for the marriage seminar, you want to make sure you get those first two sessions. We had others, but we didn't record them because anyway. But uh, they were the breakaway sessions for just men and just women, so we didn't record those. <laughs> yeah, good thing, yeah. <laughs> Pastor Frank's a bit honest. <laughs> He's not a closed-up guy. But anyway, uh, we encourage you to, you know, to get those. 
But really, the greatest promise we have is to be with Jesus. I mean, nothing is greater than that. So here you have, you know, Moses. He's reiterating the problem that he had with the children of Israel because here he brought them out of Egypt, and he brought them out of Egypt by miracles and wonders. We all know that. We've read those portions of Scripture. He brought, brought them out. And yet, when it came to entering in to the land he promised them, they became afraid. And fear and doubt are great enemies of faith. If God be for us, who can be against us? And so when we allow doubt and fear to enter in, it's a killer. We can't allow that to happen. You know, there is more to life than this life. Do you understand that? And some of you might have heard this um, story before. It's an account, a story. Just so bear with me. But I remember it was just before uh, I came to know Jesus Christ, before I was saved. And um, I was teaching uh, high school science at Horseheads High School. And we lived in our first house. You know how exciting that is, the first house you have built. In uh, Big Flats, New York. And it was kind of out in the country. And I remember one Saturday having my cup of coffee and standing in front. It was one of those picture windows that went right down to the floor. Standing in the picture window by myself, looking out the window, and actually thinking, what's wrong with me? You know what I mean? My father was a coal miner. He only went to sixth grade. I was only the second person in my whole family to graduate from high school. Here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm a high school science teacher. I had my own house in Big Flats, had a great wife and, and kids, and I'm, I'm standing there and I'm thinking, what's wrong with me? Because I felt that emptiness. I felt something's missing. And you know what? Something was, and his name is Jesus. And the greatest decision that Vi and I ever made was to give our life to Jesus Christ. And I'm not ashamed to tell you, my wife was the first one. And she came and told me all about how she committed her She said, I don't know what it's about, I don't know what it all means, but I've been giving my life to Jesus Christ. And I reminded her that she grew up Catholic, and I was the one who went to Sunday school every week, so if anyone knew anything about God, it was me. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how naive and stupid we are? So anyway... Um, it was only about two weeks later or so, and uh, um, I realized she was right. And I just had a, just an amazing uh, born-again experience and uh, came to know Jesus Christ. And then I had fullness of life. Never again did I stand in front of the big picture window with a cup of coffee saying, what's wrong with me? I was standing there saying, praise God doesn't mean everything always went perfect for us. It doesn't go perfect for anyone. But the reality is you have a hope that is beyond self. You have a hope that's beyond this life. And what encouragement that is. I mean, I'm going to be with Vi for all eternity. You know, we're not going to be married when we receive our glorified bodies, but we're going to be together for all eternity. The scripture says we shall know and be known. We're going to know one another. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, going, starting with verse 19, it says this. 
Now, remember, this is Moses speaking, and he's sharing with the children of Israel, reminding them of what they had been going through. So we departed from Horeb, and we went through all the great and terrible wilderness which you saw on your way to the mountains of the Amorites. And as the Lord our God had commanded us, the Lord commanded them, then we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. The Lord commanded it. It wasn't a suggestion. He commanded it. Verse 22. And every, every, and every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up and the cities into which we shall come. Well, what's really going on here? They're starting to show unbelief. We'll get into that more in a moment. Because the Lord had already said, go in and possess the land. Just go in and take it. And so the people are saying, well, you know, um, and I think they're lying to themselves and lying to Moses. What they're saying is, well, you know, I, I think before we go in, let's do this strategically. I mean, that's the, that's the way you do a good military operation. Let's send spies in and kind of see by the way we should go, which is what it says here. But they just wanted to go in and see if they could take it. That's called unbelief. The Lord already said, it's yours. Now, verse 23 the plan pleased me. Now, it's not the Lord saying that. That's Moses. The plan pleased me well. So I took 12 of your men, one man from each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshgal, and they spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands, and they brought it down to us, and they brought back word to us, saying, it is a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. Up to that point, it's great. Hey, look at this fruit. Look at how huge it is. Look at how fertile it is. It's a great land. This, this is a great land the Lord's giving us. Sounds great. But then look at the next verse, verse 26. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents. And you said, because the Lord hates us. The Lord hates us. Talk about pansy babies, huh? He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Such unbelief in the face of all that God had done for them. How horrible is that? Verse 28. Where can, or, uh, where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Wow, cities up to heaven. You think that's a little bit of an exaggeration? Moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. Those are giants. Then I said to you, this is what Moses said, do not be terrified or afraid of them, 
the Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God um, carried you as a man carries his own son. And all the way you went until you came to this place. He's reminding them, the Lord has always gone before you. The Lord has carried you. The Lord has always given you the victory. What excuse do you have? What reasoning is there that you could come up with that the Lord wouldn't be with you? That the Lord hates you? The Lord wants to destroy you after all he's done? Verse 32. Yet for all that you did, for, but for, for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your, pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and the cloud by day. So in this portion, we start right off with the command of God, the promise that the Lord had given them, saying, go in and possess the land. It's yours. But they doubt it. I don't think there's anything that will bring more harm to your Christian walk than doubting. We have nothing to doubt. Look at what God has done for us. Look at how he saved our wretched souls. If God did nothing else, what he did to save my soul and give me the assurance of heaven, I don't need anything else. If he did nothing else, that would be enough, right? I'm saved. I'm saved. You know that song, I'm going to heaven. And, um, but they, of course, they doubt it. And at this point, we see the first sign of unbelief when the people say, let us go up. And what they're really saying is, make sure what God told us is possible. That's what they're really saying. Let us go up and spy out the land. Let's make sure what God told us is possible. Well, here's the thing. If God tells you something, it is possible because he's God. And if God says something, it shall be. And at this point, of course, we see the first sign of unbelief. And uh, this wasn't, remember, so that they could strategically figure out the land. They were lying to themselves and to Moses. They didn't want to go in to see how they strategically could go in and invade the land. They wanted to go in to see if they could invade the land. That's unbelief. You know, if your commanding officer gives you orders to do something, if you're in the military, you don't say to your commanding officer, well, you know what, sir, uh, good order here, good order. But let me go and make sure that it's really worth carrying out or possible to carry out. You don't do that. Well, how much more in the army of God, how much more as believers, when God tells us to do something, we should just do it. Now, we're told in this portion that this plan, as far as going in and spying out the land, it pleased Moses, but it never told us in this portion to please God. It just pleased Moses. They lied to Moses. Yeah, we want to go in and just figure out if we can do it, find the best way in and this and that. Well, say, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Go ahead. But Moses didn't consult with God on this particular plan. And um, so they sent in 12 spies, and one from each of the tribe. 
And, uh, you know, one of the things we find out is anytime we, we question God, the, the results are disastrous. Anytime we question God. You know, God, have you ever had, and I'm just being honest with you, because this has happened to me numerous times, have you ever had the Lord show you something that you should do or tell you you should do something? And if you hold back for even a little bit and you start thinking about it, then it's, well, did the Lord really tell me to do that? Does the Lord really want me to do that? Well, maybe before I do that, I should make sure I do this. It's the same mistake that these people made. And um, we all know about um, the land. They came back, and they said, yeah, the land is flowing with milk and honey. Yeah, the land, look at all the good fruit. The land is exactly what the Lord said it was. So they believed that part of it. They saw it with their own eyes, but it's too, the, the people are too big, and the walls are too high, so we really can't go in. And look at the exaggeration. The walls were up to heaven. Yeah, they might have been 20 feet high. <laughs> look, 20 feet. Oh, heaven. <laughs> and it's, it's just amazing. And, um, but the thing we have to understand is even though the people were large and even though the walls were high, God is bigger. Do you understand? The men might have been too big for the soldiers, but they weren't too big for God. We all know the account of David and Goliath, right? How he uh, slew a giant. And, you know, we have different accounts of how tall we think Goliath was, but if you use, if you really research it, you'll find Goliath was about 13 feet tall. That means his head would have been sunk into this roof a little bit from that ground. And if I'm down here, all six foot three of me, no, all five foot. Anyway, look at how high that is. That's a giant. And it would seem ridiculous. It said that his, this, the head of his spear was about 100 pounds, if you put it in, in uh, our weight. 100 pounds. I mean, most of us would be like, that's his spear. And David said to him, you come against me with sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. And with Goliath's own sword, he, David cut off his head. And we read about other mighty men who fought giants. Another mighty man who jumped into a pit with a lion and killed it. Well, that's impossible. Without God, it is. But with God, all things are possible. We're told in Scripture. And so we have to understand, no matter what Goliaths we're facing, no matter how big the Amorites are and how high-walled our cities are, if God has called us to go in, we need to go in and take the victory. Now, Moses reminded the people that God brought them up out of Egypt and how many victories he gave them in bringing, up, bringing them up out of Egypt. But the people stood their ground and said, nope, we're not going. We're not going to go up. And, of course, we know they suffered the consequence of their decision. Not one of them did enter in. There's only two spies who said, no, we can take the land. We can go in. That was Joshua and Caleb. They went in. Those are the two fighting men that went in. The rest of them, they never entered in. They missed God's promise out of fear and unbelief. 
And so to uh, not believe the one who keeps all of his promises and who is able to do all that he has promised is a very serious thing. You know, um, to me, it's just amazing how these people could give such a great report and yet falter in their belief in what the Lord... Everything the Lord told them about the land was true, but no, God, you're not powerful enough to help us go in and take the land. And, uh, you know, in Romans 8.31, it says this. What then shall we say to these things? Listen to this. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God's for us, who can be against us? Who? Who? No one. Now, um, Moses, of course, he, re he reminded them of all that the Lord had done for them in bringing them up out of Egypt. And therefore, he said, you have nothing to fear. And I love what it tells us in 2 Corinthians, if you want to turn there, chapter 2. 2 Corinthians, chapter 2, if you want to turn there. You know, while you're going to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, think about this. How is it we can go back and reminisce about all the Lord has done for us in the past? Oh, God did this for me. Oh, God did that for me. Oh, God did this for me. And then when it comes to a present situation, well, I don't know. You know, we can remember the victories in the past, but how important is it for us to recognize the victories that lie before us as well? Maybe even more so. But in 2 Corinthians 2.14, it says, Now thanks be to God, who always, doesn't say sometimes or once in a while, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. God always goes before us, because his desire is for his fragrance to go everywhere, for his name to go everywhere, that people might be saved. He's wishing for none to perish. You know, um, the Lord goes before you in every battle. And that's why we should never go into any of the battles we have with fear. Because he always leads us in triumphant procession triumphant procession. He always does. And uh, the Lord doesn't lead us into defeat. He leads us into victory. We know that. You know, think about this. If the one who created all that there is by his word, in the beginning, God said, in the beginning, God said, let there be. By his word, he created everything including Satan. Satan is a creation of God. And by his word, Satan is going to be thrown into the lake of fire in the end. The word tells us that. That's God. His word. You know, we, we talk about, well, he's a man of his word. God is a man of his word. What he says is. And God has given us promises. And we need to walk in the victory of those promises. You know, one of the things that's interesting, it tells us that when they got into their tents, they started complaining. You know, I think one of our greatest battlegrounds can be our homes. But we have to understand God is just as much in our homes as he is in our churches. 
He's there. And so when we get into our homes, a lot of times that's when we bring up all our doubts. Well, yeah, I don't know about this. I won't worry about that. But this kind of makes me nervous. I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't do this. Hey, is God leading you? Go. I would rather misunderstand God and, and have, you know, make a mistake than to not hear God and not have a victory that he has chosen for me to walk in. You know, I don't want to get in my home. Well, you know, you know, when you're in your homes together, we talked about this in the marriage retreat, but even if you're single, when, you, when you're in, in your homes, that's when you need to spend time with Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, that name above every other name. There's nothing sweeter, there's nothing greater, there's, there's nothing more wonderful to talk about than the name of Jesus. And to spend time in his word. You know, I'm not saying that we're 100% committed to this, but like a lot, uh, oftentimes what Vi and I like to do, we go into, you guys are going to think we're crazy, we go into bed around 8.30. <laughs> we don't go to bed right then, we go into bed about 8.30, and we, we start off by usually putting on some of our favorite Christian songs to listen to. And, and you young couples, or if you're uh, not a, a, a couple, just do it yourself. What we'll do is we'll pick a book of the Bible and I'll read a paragraph and Vi will read a paragraph. I'll read a paragraph, Vi will read a paragraph with the understanding that if we have anything we want to discuss, anything that comes up while we're looking at it, it's amazing how different your attitude is when you go to sleep thinking on the Lord than if before you go to bed you're watching some shoot them up, cut them up, knock them down, Cowboy movie or whatever kind of movie. You know what I mean? You go to bed and you're like... <laughs> I'm not saying if, if you watch a movie, you're, you're a horrible person, because believe me, we watch uh, you know, our share. But how important it is to try to set those things aside. How wonderful it would be if, we, if that was uh, the rarity, that we sat in front of the TV, and the majority of the time we sat around you know, talking about the Word of God. I mean, it's a, you know, we remember all the movie lines, but what about the, the, the Word? What about the Word of God? Do you remember all those wonderful lines? Some of you might have already seen it, and, you know, I'm not trying to always be, I'm not trying to be promoting a TV series, but there was a series that was done by a group of Christians completely outside of Hollywood, and it was called The Chosen, and um, they only... Uh, did one season because it was completely people-funded. The acting in it is superb. And they're taking dramatic license because they're doing it as a drama, but it's based on the Gospel of Luke. And it's the life of Christ. It was really good. And to sit and allow yourself to be saturated with something like that rather than all the junk. You know, the world loves to feed us junk food. Because just like when you eat physical junk food, you'll get fat and you'll be unhealthy. And if you eat social and mental junk food, you're going to be, you're going to be a fathead. <laughs> Remember that old saying, you know, you fathead. You're going to be a fathead and you're going to be unhealthy. It's a wonderful thing to just consider the things of God and even more so in our homes. No, it was the Lord's desire 
to send them into the lands of their enemies to have the victory. And it's the Lord's desire to send us into the land of our enemies to have victory. The areas that you need to go in and have victory, I don't know about. And I don't need to know about, but you do. You know. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Every one of you sitting here, you know there's something you need to go in and have victory over. The Lord's already given you the victory. Don't try to search it out and figure it out. Just go in and have the victory. You know, it's one thing for believers to be arrogant. You know, sometimes believers go, we either go one way or the other. We're very, well, God told me to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I told me to do that, and I'm going to do that. You know, all these kind of things, we get real arrogant and tough. And then there's another kind of believer that has, always has their tail between their legs. Well, I don't know if I should do that. I don't know if God doesn't want to. You know, we shouldn't be arrogant. We shouldn't be, you know, sissies. We should be believers and stand and trust in the word of God. We know when God has shown us something. We know that. And when God has shown us something, walk in that victory. It's as simple as that. And uh, I think the reason Moses really brings up this whole issue in reminding the children of Israel before they enter in and, and because he wants them to have success. And unbelief is the greatest hindrance to victory. Unbelief is the greatest hindrance to victory. You have two boxers go into a ring. Like, let's say, uh, Israel. You know, Israel was a prize fighter. You know, he was a... Uh, Golden Glove champion. And let's say Israel and I were going to box together. And I, and I went in there and I had confidence that, you know what? He's still going to kill me. Because Israel's out of my league. But it's different when we're looking at spiritual things. Because you could be going against a spiritual situation where it is a giant. But if God is calling you into that, you're going to have the victory, no matter how big the giant is. I mean, think about David. I mean, we were actually in that valley where he had the Philistines in one side and Israelites in the other side, and then they would come down in that valley where they fought, and we actually went to a creek where David would have picked up a stone. I mean, you guys, I hope we can all take a trip to Israel sometime. It's the most amazing thing to be standing where Jesus stood, to be standing where David stood. I mean, you're there, you're looking at it, it's like, oh, I can't believe it. But he pulls out a stone. And the sling was the kind that he used as a shepherd. He had a shepherd's tool going against the tools of a mighty warrior. But God told him to do it, and God gave him the victory. And he had the victory. So in Hebrews 3.19, it tells us, so we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. There's not a greater hindrance to our faith and to our walk with the Lord, brothers and sisters, than unbelief. His word is true. Every part of it, every, every sentence of it is true. And there's so many promises that are given to us as believers. One-third of this book is prophecy. We need to study this book. And take all the promises to heart. This is what God has given me. Because the greatest 
enemy that Satan brings against us is fear. Oh, what if I die? Are you saved? So what if you die? Where are you going to go? To heaven? You're going to be with Jesus? Well, how will everybody do without me if I die? They'll do fine. <laughs> because they belong to Jesus too. And one day, we'll all be together. You know that old hymn, when we all get together, what a wonderful day it will be when we all get together? It's an old hymn talking about that day that we're all caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and, and it's going to be the most joyous day. We won't even know how to sin, and the very words and heart that come out of our soul and mouth will be that of worship of the Lord. Can you imagine that? And I love what it tells us, and this is what I'm closing with, in 2 Corinthians 1.20. Listen to this. All. Do you know what's included in all? All. All of God's promises are yes and amen. If we only believe. All of God's promises are yes and amen. And amen is taken from the Hebrew amen, and it means, it literally means so be it. In other words, it is. There's no other way it's going to be. It is. And so I think there's a great lesson that we can learn here from this portion of Deuteronomy that God's calling us in to possess the land. Don't doubt. Don't have fears. Don't try to figure it out. Just run steadily with the Lord. Father, we come before you in Jesus Yeshua's name and how thankful we are for the promises of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would take the things that you have shown us this morning and allow us to apply it to our lives, that we might walk steadily before you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to serve you in such a way that we might be your instrument in the salvation of many. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. And God bless you, my dear friends.